everybody is fundamentally the ultimate reality, the self, the deep down basic whatever there is, and you're all that, only you're pretending you're not. Who we are is not this physical body that we're in that is here for a moment and gone. Who we are is this infinite intelligence, and we forget that. The same intelligence that, is, that created this infinite universe that never ends is you. And those of us seeking a way to transform life, to capture fulfillment in every now moment, to redefine our reality to live this life to its fullest. This is the Live This Life Podcast. And I'm your host, Heath Cummings. I'm here to inspire you to ask yourself the question every single day. Are you living or are you killing time? What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. You know, recently I've been motivated to shift gears a little bit on the trajectory that I'm going to take the show into. You know, recently I've had a little bit of a gap in production in the last few months. Uh, Of course, a lot of that was due to busyness and overwhelm, but, you know, a lot of that was due to some introspection, you know, self-reflection, looking at where I wanted to take everything, all of my efforts, where did I want to focus my energy? And... A lot of that came from looking at the state of the world, everything, the universe, everything all all around me right now, not just the outer world, but the inner world, and kind of listen to what that inner guidance was telling me right now. I've I've had a bit of, sh- a bit of a shift in my interest in the last few months because I've been turning my attention much more toward philosophy. You know, it's something that for some reason, for some unknown pull, it just drives me to think a lot more about myself and the world around me. And I figured, why not go back to that? Why not bring a little bit more of that to all the things that I'm doing? You know, thinking back to a lot of the different abstract sort of concepts that come from Socrates and Plato, which are two different people we'll talk about in this episode today. But, uh, you know, it's one of the only things I actually paid attention to in literature classes in high school and college. But I feel like philosophy is more critical now than it's ever been. You know, in an age of of disinformation where if you get your information from the media, then you're extremely misinformed and if you don't get your information from the media, then you're drastically uninformed about a lot of things that are happening in the world. But critical thinking when it comes to wherever the sources of your information comes from, is extremely critical. You can't trust anybody's word, not mine on this show, not anybody's. You can't trust what someone says 100% verbatim. You have to develop that discernment. And critical thinking comes comes into play big time when you look at the meaning behind some philosophical ideas and where the discernment comes into play to, to figure out what those mean and how it applies to your life. That same type of thought pattern also helps you approach so many other different pieces of information in your everyday lives. And most importantly, it allows us to extract the essential pieces of information from what is often overlooked. And that doesn't just go for some philosophical writing that was hundreds of years old, but that goes for everything in our modern age. You know, in this age of 
information overload, which all of that information is so very often agendized and polarized, you've got to look past the energy that's there and try to look at the deeper meaning of whatever it is for the information that you're taking in on a constant basis. Because all that information ends up leading to your state of being. You know, I've seen a lot happen in the last couple of years. And I've seen an unbelievable shift in the human organism. You know, we as a species, we flock together like a flock of birds or something. You know, they move in one huge organism in the sky. They all look like one giant organism and they just move in these complex movements, but they're synchronized. They're all together. You know, we're like a huge school of fish in the ocean. There's like this, this unconscious connection that makes us all move in a certain direction as a human species as well, for one reason or another. And even if we're not meaning to, we, we go along with it because that's the way a majority of the flock is doing, you know, and many of us don't want to be that one lone fish swimming out there in a dangerous ocean by ourselves. You know, we, we just keep swimming, you know, we just go along with whatever the flock is doing, whatever the big school of fish is doing for our safety, for safety in numbers. And that's not to say that we don't have our individuality, you know, and I think actually at this point in time, we have a massive amount of individuality. I think we have more individuality than I think we've maybe ever had because people are much more braver to be who they are. They have much more freedoms. They're able to stand up for what they believe in. Um, they're free to be whoever they want to be. You know, they people don't grow up so oppressed as they were in the past. Not that some people in the world aren't, but I feel like people have a much grander ability to stand in who they want to be at much younger ages. And we have this very highly perceived level of individuality. But again, I think that individuality does have its limitations. We we can be like this brightest colored fish in that school of all the fish, right? You know, but as we zoom out, as we look at the bigger picture, we still have this hive mind as a species. And I feel like right now in this critical point of human history as humans, I feel like we have reached this sort of critical point, you know, and that critical point right now is that school of fish divided and it's in two giant halves and it's smashing together whatever the subject has to you know happens to be but we as that giant organism are finding these things to divide us into two different schools and smash into each other and it might not be a specific subject, although there's one in mind that I feel in particular is one that's causing some of the biggest division right now, and it's kind of my motivation for today's episode. But, you know, some people know the unfortunate truths about a lot of different things that are going on. And I think other people know as well, but they're a bit scared to admit what they know. And that's a main talking point about what philosophical writing we're going to talk about today. You know, but it, aside from that, I feel like there is a significant war going on in this world right now. And I feel like that war is an active assault on our consciousness, on every single human being alive, all for the sake of trying to grasp on this bit of control that they have on our species. And when I say they, it's the people who have been in power for centuries, you know, a long, long time. But so many people right now, so many people are waking up to 
some grander power. Your, your grandeur as a human species, a human being, is just absolutely immense. We as people are the ones who are in control. We have this divine given power for every single person in this world. And more people are stepping into that power every single day. There's people who are out there on some great stages inspiring other people to do that, to wake up, to stand in their power. And more people are doing that. More people are saying, enough's enough. This is the way I want to live my life. And for the people who thrive on power and control, that scares them. And I feel like the war right now is an active war that's balancing, it's trying to balance out the active awakening that's happening with a lot of the, the human organism that's out there. You know, I've talked a lot about this in conversations that I've had on Clubhouse and on the Wisdom app and pretty much like everywhere I've been on some podcasts and stuff lately. It gets into a lot of political discussion, which I won't get into here. I really want to stay out of politics on this podcast in every possible way. It's really hard, though. You know, myself being in politics and seeing the division that comes from that, it's really hard to steer clear from it. But basically, in this conversation, you know, I wanted to keep that and other negative things off the show completely. I wanted to keep my show uplifting, inspiring, and, you know, keeping you as the listener filled up and fully engaged and not want to make anybody feel like they had any reason to be at odds with anything that I ever say on the show. I don't want anything that comes out of my lips to immediately strike some discord with someone that makes them hit stop and not want to continue. I do there. I do, however, want there to be some level of discomfort at a certain point because when new information does come in, it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes. You know, we have to listen to it and think like, wow, is, is that true? It should shake you a little bit, but it shouldn't shake you so much where it becomes offensive. And we're going to talk a little bit about when that happens and what you should do. Because if that does happen to you, if information does come in and you're like, whoa, I don't want to hear that. It's all done and over with. And you immediately try to shut it down. I think that's one of the most critical points that you need to identify in your life, because you could be shutting out some extremely potent, powerful, and life-changing information just because it's going against the flow of your thought process. That cognitive dissonance kicks in. We talked about that quite a few episodes ago, and I don't want to dive too much into that today, but that cognitive dissonance, when it does kick in, is something that really holds a lot of people back in very significant ways. And it can be completely life-changing and life-changing for the worse if you're never there allowing new information to be absorbed and ponder its potential. But here we are in this place. You know, I feel like all of us need to do a little bit more to support each other and wake more people up. You know, anybody who's considered to be somewhat awakened, enlightened, whatever you want to put a tag on it, I feel like more people need to do what they can to have these meaningful conversations and not ones that create division, not ones where you're standing on your side and someone else is standing on theirs and you're preaching to them. That's not the way it's done. But you talk about the what ifs. You just get people to think a little bit in general. And that's what philosophy can do. And that's what the point of this episode will be about. But it's not for my own sake. And it's not for your own sake. But I think it's for the sake of every single person alive on this planet right now. I feel like we're at a critical point where we need to rally everyone in one singular effort to realize that 
a mass consciousness awakening is happening and we need to do whatever we have to do to ensure that it keeps its momentum moving forward. And any efforts to silence people, to shut them down, is the polar opposite. It's the yin to the yang of that effort. We need to recognize it and make sure that we're not shutting people down when it comes to these kinds of concepts. Now, before jumping in with both feet on this one, you know, please, again, if you've ever listened to this show, this is one of the more important ones. This is one that I'm really going wholeheartedly, 100% in on. Um, there'll be no ad breaks or anything on this one. Usually I do a breakdown a few minutes in, not doing that. I want 100% of your focus and attention on what we're going to be discussing today um, and anything that you do here today, you know, and in the weeks to come, in the months to come, if you're an avid listener, if you're just joining and you want to keep on going, as we dig a little bit deeper into philosophy and spirituality, I'm making a desperate plea for people to wake up their cognitive potential. And that's why I'm focusing on this so much. And I want you as a listener to dig deep. If anything that you hear on the show causes you an uncomfortable feeling and it makes you immediately say, that's bullshit, Heath, I'm not listening to that. If you have that knee-jerk reaction, I want you to stop. And I want you to ask yourself why. Do Pause and don't react to it right away. Have you heard something beyond a reasonable doubt into the contrary of something I might have said that makes you 100% believe it? Or have you heard something from a trusted source so many times that you believe it? What is the reason behind your belief is what I'm getting at. And I want you to dig into that if you have one of those moments. Because I found that so many times in life, people will wholeheartedly believe in something based on a very primitive and simple litmus test, meaning they've barely done anything to cross-examine the facts. They've just settled for one determining factor to judge the truthfulness of a major life decision. Like, who's the loudest person in an argument? And, and judge who won the debate by just that, whose voice was louder, not by the words they said. Or the lies that are spewed by maybe a political party because you pledge your allegiance to that party that, you know, no matter what the fallacies are, you have to see the errors in those ways because we'll never progress as that unified organism if that's the way we continue to do things. You know, and if you immediately disagree with anything presented on the show, like I said, take it for entertainment purposes, if anything, and then maybe pretend it's true just for a minute, you know, try and look into some of the, the, the truths of it, you know, try and prove it true before you try and disprove it. Entertain it for a few minutes. It's that discomfort that you need to push through sometimes. That discomfort when you have an uncomfortable set of circumstances that faces us and makes us immediately shut something down related to an opposing view that we have. And more often than not, that feeling is is just that that swimming against the current of your mind. It's that discord. And when you immediately close yourself off to that uncomfortable feeling, that, that difficult potential truth that might be all in your face could also be life-altering. You have to dig deep to make sure you're not shutting it down and evaluate the entire situation and think critically for yourself. Now, um, if you're looking into that cognitive dissonance, the word I mentioned a little while ago, episode 66, I did an entire episode on it. So without repeating all that, go dig back on that one if you're interested in it. 
Um, but that cognitive dissonance isn't some fancy new mental disorder or some new psychological concept. You know, this is something that's been around for millennia. I mean, this concept goes all the way back to ancient Greece. It's almost 2,500 years old, the subject we're talking about today, the, the allegory that we're going to be talking about today. The story of cognitive dissonance is, um, is one that was made famous by the philosopher Plato. And, you know, I, I rediscovered this recently in, uh, you know, a story that I was listening to. Um, and I've, I've, only rediscovered this just recently in the last few years, but it goes back 10 or 15 years for me uh, to, to something I, I heard one time, thought it was fascinating, glazed right over it, never realizing the potency of this story. Um, but the story is known as The Allegory of the Cave by Plato, and we're going to dive deep into this one today. Um, but before I go too much deeper, I want to play the clip that best paints the picture. I found this one on the School of Life YouTube page. I'm actually going to link that in the show notes. Uh, so if you want to check out the full length video, go ahead and click on that link so you can watch it. I'm only going to play about three or four minutes of what's probably about a 10 minute clip. Um, so check this one out. I think this one best details and summarizes what the allegory of the cave by Plato is all about. Check this one out. The ancient Greeks were emphatic that philosophy was not just an elaborate, abstract exercise. It was, they felt, a deeply useful skill that should be learnt and practised by all in order to help us to live and die well. No one believed this more than Plato, who was passionate in his defence of philosophy as a kind of therapy for the soul. One of the most forceful stories he told on behalf of the utility of philosophy was what has become known as the Allegory of the Cave. It is perhaps the most famous allegory in philosophy. This was a story that was intended, as he wrote, to compare the effect of education and the lack of it on our nature. At the start of Book 7 of his masterpiece The Republic, Plato tells us about some people living imprisoned in a cave. They've always lived there and don't know anything of the outside world. There is no natural light in this cave. The walls are damp and dark. All the inhabitants can see comes from the shadows of things thrown up on the wall by a light of a fire. The cave dwellers get fascinated by these reflections of animals, plants and people. Moreover, they assume that these shadows are real and that if you pay a lot of attention to them, you'll understand and succeed in life. They don't, of course, realise that they are looking at mere phantoms. They chat about shadowy things enthusiastically and take great pride in their sophistication and wisdom. Then, one day, quite by chance, someone discovers a way out of the cave, out into the open air. At first, it's simply overwhelming. He is dazzled by the brilliant sunshine, in which everything is for the first time properly illuminated. Gradually, his eyes adjust and he encounters the true forms of all those things which he had formerly known only as shadows. He sees actual flowers, the colours of birds, the nuances in the bark of trees. He observes stars and grasps the vastness and sublime nature of the universe. As Plato puts it in solemn terms, previously he had been looking merely at phantoms. Now he is nearer to the true nature of being. Out of compassion, this newly enlightened man decides to leave the sunlit upper world and makes his way back into the cave to try to help out his companions, who are still mired in confusion and error. 
Because he's become used to the bright upper world, he can hardly see anything underground. He stumbles along the damp, wet corridors and gets confused. He seems to the others totally unimpressive. When he in turn is unimpressed by them and insists on explaining what the sun is or what a real tree is like, the cave dwellers get sarcastic, then very angry, and eventually plot to kill him. The story of the cave is an allegory of the life of all enlightened people. The cave dwellers are humans before philosophy. The sun is the light of reason. The alienation of the returned philosopher is what all truth-tellers can expect when they take their knowledge back to people who have not devoted themselves to thinking. For Plato, we are all for much of our lives in shadow. Many of the things we get excited about, like fame, the perfect partner, a high-status job, are infinitely less real than we suppose. They are, for the most part, phantoms projected by our culture onto the walls of our fragile and flawed minds. But because everyone around us is insisting that they are genuine, we are taken in from a young age. It's not our fault individually. No one chooses to be in the cave. That's just where we happen to begin. We're all starting from a very difficult place. If, like the man in Plato's story, you bluntly tell people they're wrong, you get nowhere, you cause deep offence and may endanger your own life. Athens had, after all, recently put Socrates, Plato's friend, to death. Plato knew from close experience just what the cave dwellers might do to those who claim to know the sun. The solution, Plato says, is a process of widespread, carefully administered philosophical education, by which he understood the method of inquiry pioneered by Socrates and known to us as the Socratic method. It's a very gentle process. You don't lecture or harangue or force someone to read a particular book. You just start with a general declaration of intellectual modesty. No one knows very much. It's always good to insist. And wisdom starts with owning up to ignorance. Confession so in understanding the metaphors of this story, um, into today's world. It's easy, you know, it, yet at the same time, it's very convoluted for some people to understand. And some people may not understand why this story is even relevant. There are so many things that are kept, quote unquote, behind the veil of what's happening in this world from many, many people today. Let's, let's consider what we've seen in the last two years about um let's say let's say even something like extraterrestrial life okay so even now it's kind of you know me deciding that i was going to talk about this today it's still kind of uncomfortable right you know we have been conditioned for how long 70 80 years now in this most recent effort to completely dis just dismiss every potential piece of information that ever came in that maybe a race from outside this world was visiting this planet and people will still chuckle there's probably people who are out there chuckling at me talking about it right now even though many officials in our own government in the last year have released many documents and statements that say we have vehicles in our presence that are not of this world we have recovered them and it's on the front page of the New York Times. It's been on CNN. It's been on Fox News. Now they're releasing video footage from our military that shows these things. Government officials from other countries who are going even further into depth about the, the, the treaties or, or communications and stuff that they've actually had. It's fascinating stuff. But we've been so heavily programmed over the last 70 years to scoff at this. And our programming has basically told us to 
treat every single person who comes up with this information as a quack. They're nuts. Not saying that a lot of people who have had these stories aren't pretty far sort of out in space themselves. Uh, but the conditioning has just said that anyone who talks about this stuff is a hippie. They're out to lunch. They are, they are just nuts. So any of these conversations that come out are still along those lines. We still have that in the back of our minds. No matter how much you may say you believe, you know, oh, it's apparent that, you know, the universe is huge. Uh, these, these people could be coming here or whatever. But we still have that sort of inkling in the back of our mind. That's just that conditioning. Now, take into account that that is just sort of the tip of it all. You know, it's one of the biggest things in modern history that our species has lied about. It's been concealed from us and sometimes often with very deadly consequences. You know, many stories of people being threatened um, or worse to keep everything under wraps. Now, if they're willing to go that far on something like that, you have to think about all of the other things that have been done throughout our history, the manipulation, the cover-ups, um, you know, the powers that be that, that step on people to get what they want. And that's a tough truth to examine and accept. I have seen it. I've seen it from a law enforcement side. I've seen a lot of ugly things. Um, I've worked with some government officials over the years, and I've seen some pretty ugly things that they do. Um, nothing major, but I have worked with people and saw things I didn't like. And that opened up my eyes to, obviously, there's bigger things that could happen, I'm sure, than anything that I would have witnessed. But I'm calling just that one example into question. And what our so-called leadership has to say about anything, anything that they say, you have to take it all and evaluate it very, very deeply. If they're forcing you to look in one direction, force yourself to look back in a different direction, the one they're trying to get you to turn away from, because that's where the information lies. When they're trying to distract you, you need to look back in the direction that they're trying to get you to look away from. But we don't. We as a collective or at least a vast majority of people, we just follow the collective. We just keep on swimming, right? We we move in the direction that we're led and the rest of the flock just goes along with it. And it's hard to go against that. Now, think about the story of the cave, you know, what you heard. When you do, you know, don't think of the people who are in the cave as primitive. You know, don't think of the people who are part of the flock in modern day age who just keep swimming who do look in the other direction when someone says yo look squirrel and everybody looks don't think of them and don't think of the cave dwellers as primitive although the allegory of the people in the cave are the people who are happy with just being sort of subdued you know basically in sort of their prisoner lifestyle they are not lesser of a human they are not lesser than Anyone else, anyone who would consider themselves enlightened or a little bit more awakened, they're no worse off. They're just in a state that you were in before you started to realize some things. Everyone has been there, so we can't judge. They're not on a lower level than anybody. You know, you don't judge a kindergartner for not knowing trigonometry. You know, you don't judge your dog for not knowing how to drive a car. It's just the point in their journey that they're at. That is all. And they might not even reach a higher state in this lifetime either. You have to consider that. That might be their life's purpose in this lifetime. They, they can 
even ostracize people with a different view, people who have more information, who really get it. They may ostracize and criticize and condemn all of the truth seekers. They might even wish them harm, as we heard in this story. But, you know, it makes me think back to the Matrix movies, you know, especially the first one, uh, which also was a little bit synchronistic that this is all sort of coming about for me because there's a new Matrix movie coming out. I was a huge Matrix fan back in the day. And um, those movies are riddled with philosophical concepts. If you're not familiar with those movies, go watch at least the first one um, and look deep into it. Uh, you know, maybe watch a YouTube video on the philosophy behind the Matrix before you watch the movie. And it's, of course, got its action and violent stuff. But look beyond that because the deep philosophy that's in that movie is amazing and has been one of the most transformational modern philosophy films over the last 20 years and it you know became a part of pop culture and it worked its way into the human psyche as being that you know flashy action-packed sort of movie but behind that veil of you know the big sexy movie it was something deeply philosophical now in that first movie, Morpheus, the mentor of the main character, Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, uh, Morpheus is teaching Neo that all the people who are still living in the Matrix, they're in a dream state. You know, the Matrix is a computer simulation. If you're in it and you don't realize you're in it, it's literally as real as real life. And if you're in there, it's like a dream. You know, if you're in a dream, you don't realize you're in a dream. And if you never woke up, how would you realize that you were ever in a dream in the first place. Now, some people are so beyond waking up in that place that they are dependent on that system. They would not be able to handle the truth. And because of that, they fight to protect that system that actually keeps them enslaved and under control. And this is the story of the cave. Is It's the same exact premise. It's obviously just more of a classical setting for the allegory of the cave than the contemporary version of the Matrix, but it was such a parallel type of story, and I've heard the comparisons between the two. Now, you know, the surface dweller who comes out of the cave rises to the surface, realizes that the shadows that they've been giving names to for all these years, they're actually something different altogether. You know, this, this big bright ball in the sky it's called the sun. You know, it gives life to things. You know, he sees a tree for the first time instead of just the outline of a tree or a shadow. You know, imagine trying to describe a 3D object to people who've only ever seen a two-dimensional shadow of that object. You know, someone who's been in a cave their entire life. These people know nothing about the outside world. They know nothing at all about these objects. All they know is the two-dimensional shadows that are on the wall. Now, would they think that the surface dweller was crazy? Absolutely. You know, those those people, they're in more of a group. They have that hive mind still. And that one person goes out there, talks about these scary things, and it's sort of a fe fearful concept. These things sound pretty unbelievably scary when he comes back in and starts telling people about them. So, of course, they're fearful. They're fearful of that truth. They don't want to know that truth because it sounds scary. It's something that's out of the norm. It's not their comfortable, damp, wet little cave that they've been secure in their whole life. It's this big, dangerous world that they're hearing about. So, at first, it's defensive, and then it almost becomes 
like they want to harm him to to take away that threat they don't want this potential truth coming in and he's the bringer of the truth so they've plot to actually kill the guy but they just want to stay within that dark world no matter what the school of fish just goes along with the comfortable lie no one actually chooses to start off in that cave that's one thing to remember it's just a difficult place that we all started from that metaphor of it we all started in that very difficult place we all came from there no one individually chose to start there but we do make a conscious choice ourselves to close ourselves off from any scary information without immediately looking into it further you know if we shut it down right away we are choosing to stay in that cave and one of the things that anyone who considers to have themselves sort of like a higher perspective that they they shouldn't do is tell anyone who's still in the cave that they're wrong because you'll, you'll cause them to shut down right away that's one of the biggest things that i've learned is that you can't force some of the information on these people i've heard the the metaphor of sort of the awakening process as a pair of glasses right you put them on you can never take them off. You're going to see things with those glasses on that you never saw before. But the rule is they can never come off and you can't force them on anyone else. And that's the same thing as a lot of these truths that you may try to talk to people about. You're going to force it on them, throw a book at them, a website, whatever it is. They have to be ready for the information. Otherwise, they're going to completely shut it down. Even this conversation we're having today, there's some people who would listen to it and just be like, I, I know where he's going at. I don't want to deal with this. And they'll shut it down immediately because it's a scary potential to realize that the world around us is a lot different than we actually realized. You know, and those people, some people will shut it down so hard that they become dangerously defensive. Um, Socrates actually was killed because of his philosophies. He was bringing so many truths to people that he was actually put to death over this. And Plato was one of Socrates' um, students. So Plato watched his mentor get killed over bringing philosophy to people. Now, this kind of thing still happens to this day. Sometimes literally, but a lot of times people will get personally ruined because of the types of ideas they're trying to wake people up to. They have loss of friends. They have loss of family. I've seen a lot of that happen over the last couple of years because of, of different disagreements. You know, people will isolate themselves over this kind of stuff. They will get tribal. They will split into those schools of fish and only swim with people who swim in the same direction. And then there's other people like me. I'll swim in many different directions. You know, I won't swim with anybody really because i i know certain things I, I can feel them like in my bones i know that certain things are right and wrong with this world certain things are happening certain ways and then sometimes i hear these conspiracy theories which i hate that word as well and i don't say hate very often but i really hate the word conspiracy theory because it's been overplayed to completely shut down anything that goes against the mainstream narrative you hear it in the mainstream media all the time and it demonizes free thought. I don't like that. But that being said, there is a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there that it's just like, I'll hear certain things and it's like, come on. You know, one of the latest ones lately was about JFK Jr. still being alive. He died in a, died in a plane crash in like 1999. 
Um, as cool as it would be, great storyline, all that stuff. I've heard people make their arguments for it. Do I think it's true? No. Um, would it be really cool? Yes. And that's where it kind of has to end when you're entertaining certain things. But if you're on a certain side of the fence politically, you may believe it because that's what most of the people in your political party believe. And if you're on the opposite party, you're going to immediately think anybody who thinks that is nuts and anyone else who's lumped into that group, whether they are Trumpers, whether they're, they're anything, they're all automatically associated. But then there's people like me who will have ideologies that agree and disagree across the board from both sides of the alley. That's where that critical, decisive thinking kicks in. It doesn't let you prescribe to anything without discerning a ton of information first. And I think that's one of the biggest things that philosophy can give to people. A story gets presented and it's so vague, it's so generalized, you know, it doesn't specify what you're supposed to think about the certain subject it's talking about. But then it makes you think just a little bit more and a little bit deeper. And then that translates into everything else in your life. That little bit of discernment, that little bit of deep diving and critical thinking about that philosophy then makes you take something that you heard from whatever source it's from, whether it's media, whether it's family, friends, coworkers, or whatever, and you hear a piece of information, and yes, maybe it's from a trusted source, but you dig a little bit deeper to feel how that information is interpreted. And if it feels right or wrong, you go with it. If it feels right, you look for more. If it feels wrong, you look for more. But either way, you're digging a little bit deeper and not taking it on just its face value. And I think that's one of the most important things about a story like this and everything like it. These philosophies are amazing at conditioning your critical thought. But what I've learned about this is it's not your job to try to get people to think critically. You know, that's obviously the point of this episode, but it's not your job to go out there and convince everybody who has a different philosophical belief than you. You drop little tidbits, yes. You present some inspiration, some philosophies, you know, you get them to think twice a little bit about everything that they hear. And, you know, once they they work out that first little bit for themselves, it then hopefully cascades from there. You know, the next thing that happens with them, you know, they're realizing that the world is nothing like they thought it was and they're digging into everything. And then before you know it, they're talking about amazing concepts and they're just deep diving into so many different things of this world. The one thing people need to realize is that some of the people that they trust the most, leaders, media, some of them are the least trustworthy if you dig into them. And that's a really tough, probably one of the toughest things to swallow about it all. It's a very painful process. But although it's extremely painful, and sort of unpleasant when the truth sort of comes out and it absorbs and you get those goggles on and you can't take them off. If you could, you wouldn't. And most people I know say the same thing. You know, just like in the Matrix where they had to take the red pill if they were in the Matrix to wake up and get out of it. Or the blue pill and they would just remain asleep and forget anything about it all and they'd go back to the comfortable dream. The red one was the hardest one to deal with. But if they could go back in time and take the blue one, knowing the choice between the two, go back into that ignorant, comfortable bliss, most of them wouldn't do it. But some people's minds are 
not strong enough to even consider what the red pill could actually reveal. Like in the story of the cave, the description of the sun to the cave dwellers just sounded like a horrible monster. Now bring that idea into our modern times. There are many concepts when I've had conversations of, of different higher concepts of, of the way to perceive reality in the universe and everything, some people just are not ready for those conversations. You know, they're very dismissive, they're very overconfident in their standpoint on things, uh, maybe even insulting. And some of them only have the view they have based on a very limited litmus test. You know, they've only bounced one sort of... of contrary test against how they believe and they're like oh yep there's my there's my confirmation this thing is rock solid this is it they've done nothing else to dig much deeper and the one thing i've learned is you really can only show someone the door they are the ones that have to walk through it and it has to end there you know the reason why we were put here on this earth my personal belief the reason why i'm here the reason why you're here is we need to figure out everything we can about this universe. The universe itself is like a massive consciousness, like your brain. Your brain does not know colors. It doesn't know sounds. It doesn't know smell or taste. It has friends to help itself, help itself with those discoveries, the five senses. Well, you're one of those many senses that the universe has. You know, you're on a mission to be a nerve cell on the finger of the hand of God. You know, you might think that you're small and insignificant, but you are here to figure out everything that you can. And the only way that you can actually do that is with the greatest gift that the universe ever gave you, and that's free will. We all have that free will to walk through the door of the cave that's in that story and go to the world above. Some of us can just stay below as well and choose to stay there for our entire lives and never listen to any of the people who come from the surface to tell us about how much different the world actually is. You know, but I'll leave this discussion on this note. And, you know, it's the task of all quote unquote enlightened people. I really don't like that word enlightened or enlightenment. It sounds so sort of, you know, royal. It has such a... a title to it that seems prestigious above what maybe some people are able to attain. And I just don't like that. You know, enlightenment, people think they've reached a state of enlightenment. Enlightenment is a constant process that you'll never reach the end of. And if you think you've reached the end of it, you're not even close. But it's the task of anybody who considers themselves to be more awakened, to be enlightened on the path of enlightenment, to rise to the surface and see the good in the amazing and the beautiful and the scary and the dangerous, all of those things that are on the surface, you have to ascend out of the cave and learn about the higher truths of it all. But you also have to be willing on the other side to descend again, it's your duty to go back down and tell the prisoners about what you know. You know, to bring them the knowledge to also be there to hear their stories about how the chains on their wrists hurt them about their poor health, you know, about how damp and cold that cave actually is. It's your duty to still listen to their stories of chosen imprisonment and deprivation and be there to sympathize and listen. And sometimes it's frustrating to listen to those stories. But all you can do is keep returning to the surface and coming back and trying to bring them just a little bit of truth to inspire them to want to journey to the surface themselves and see it for themselves.
we have to bring what we can to those who've not yet learned how to walk. And we have to do it without judgment, as hard as that might be. There, there's a duty that comes with the power of knowledge. And you need to see a previously unenlightened version of yourself in every one of these people. And when they come to you for more, you'll know they're ready. So for those who remain in the cave, for those who are sort of stuck there, it's by your choice and it's your choice alone to remain there. And you have to ask yourself this question. Is the fear of what's on the outside worse than having to live with the potential that you're going to be misguided for the rest of your life if you never come out of that cave? Is staying inside that cave for the mere fact that you're afraid of what might be on the outside worth staying there for? Waking up late is better than not at all. So this is this is a bit more of the philosophical side that I'm definitely going to be diving into on the show. Um, it's great to have the, the guests on there. It's great to talk about the personal development stuff. But I feel like some of the concepts like this are some of the ones that can bring about some of the deepest and most profound personal development that can actually happen. Because it's personal development that you cultivate. You water that seed, you know, and it... It just builds fertile ground for so many things to grow out of it. And it just leads to such grander horizons, you know, a broader view of the world. And although it can be uncomfortable, it's definitely worth it. That, that the, the, the horizons, the new horizons that can rise out of it are just heights that you would never have experienced unless you went down these roads a little bit more. And that's a great segue. The reason why I said New Horizons so many times is because that's going to be the song I leave you with. This one's from Soul Rising, and this is New Horizons. So I'll leave you with this one from Socrates. Wisdom starts with the awareness of the limitation of your own knowledge and the acknowledgement of your own ignorance. Keep living. Keep thinking. Keep moving forward. Keep striving for those new horizons. We'll see you next time.